Hello and welcome to Dinish Guarda, Cities ABC, Open Business Council YouTube podcast series. We are here once again to look how we can actually change the world and profile the best projects, the best organizations, and especially the people that are leading, how we can actually make the world a better place and look at how these technologies of the fourth industrial revolution, the society 5.0, can actually make the world a better place, but as well, looking at how the tools coming out of these disruption technologies, and as well of these ideas and visions, can actually make countries better, cities better, and as well, we as citizens working this on our side, not against us. Um, in a world particularly challenged by technologies, very few organizations and countries are dealing with these challenges in the right direction. And uh, my experience, and that's partly why we created this series that are precisely called Cities ABC and Open Business Council in the sense of open and the council of ideas, the council of personalities to uh, profile the best people and the best organizations and the countries and cities that are really fostering innovation and solutions for the challenge we are facing. So today I'm particularly excited to welcome to our series, Steam Secret which is uh, leading one country that I'm actually particularly um, excited and as well being a huge fan. So Sim uh, Secret is a government CIO, so Chief in, um, Information Officer of Estonia, and as well is responsible for the digital testbed framework and digital government innovation model. So Sim has been um, selected to the world top 20 most influential people in digital government in 2018 and 2019 by the organization Apolitical. is a frequently interviewed and top tier uh, personality in digital strategy and as well government and e-government solutions around the world and publications. For example, Wall Street Journal, where discussed Estonia's plan for artificial intelligence strategy. And then the SIMS leadership, the Estonian government has launched different initiatives is one of the founders of the Estonia groundbreaking e-residency program, which has been a fantastic success worldwide, which allows um, different personalities, non-Estonian, uh, access to the Estonian services, such as company formation, banking, payment processing, and taxation. And the program gives the e-resident a smart card, which they can use as assigned documents. This program has been actually um, emulated by a lot of countries around the world, and I think was one of the first um, doing this in a very strong direction. So SIM is as well responsible for setting the strategy and policies to launch and steer strategic developing initiatives and regulation. And he also represents the government in the European Union and other international organizations, commenting and collaborating on policies concerning technology and digital adoption. And uh, I'm particularly excited uh, to profile here the new project that SIM is working, that is the digital testbed framework, a new and innovative collaboration model looking to attract partners globally. It gives startups, scale-ups, and all GovTech innovators access to the technologies and experience of the world-leading digital government of Estonia, a return for free use of resulting novel solution. So I'm really particularly excited about this interview. I actually was looking forward for this and I've been doing some collaborations with the government. And as well, just to finish, so Steam Secret is official title is Deputy Secretary General for IT and Telecom and CIO of Estonia, which is quite interesting. And I would suggest people listening to us worldwide to uh, use SIM as an example of the best practice for e-government worldwide. So welcome to our series, SIM. I'm quite excited to have you here. 
thank you, Denise. And I think you're being too kind uh, to me and us. But no. obviously, obviously happy to, uh, in that sense, meet finally your followers and, and listeners from around the world. No, no, I, I'm not too kind. I think actually it's quite impressive what your country has been doing in the last decades. And to be honest, I think um, having written a book about how to reinvent nations, your country was, a, was actually used as a model a lot. And actually that book was used as a model for other countries. At the moment, there's few countries using the book. And one of the things I learned is really the, the cutting edge innovation you guys have been keeping going because from blockchain to residency to a lot of other things, your government has been really, for a small country with 2 million people plus, it's not like a major global powerhouse, but you guys have been fantastically positioning yourselves and creating and using all these different things for creating a lot of fantastic and cutting edge solutions. So I want to start, firstly, I think for people, I think especially if people are in tech, I'm sure that everyone in tech or digital heard about Estonia and they have a lot of respect for that. Actually, I have a lot of startups, friends of mine that actually moved to Estonia. So I have a lot of experience on that. But the first thing I would like to ask is, as someone that is, of course, leading the Estonian government in terms of as the role of CIO and as well involved in a lot of these things, your background, because it starts with education and as well starts how someone like you in your country, managed to create the, the, the frameworks and as well taking the best of technology, but as well looking at your education, your background. I'd like to start by you first. Of course. Well, look, first I should say it's always very interesting, <laughs> for the lack of a better word, or actually humbling to, you know, come to these sort of sessions and you know, talk about 20 years of work where I, I, as a government CIO, stand on so many shoulders before me, right? So actually, a lot of the credit goes to the men and women who've been doing this for decades now, right? And sort of you know building it up. And as you say, the hard part has been to keep the sort of you know innovation you know going all the time like that. I mean, I myself, I'm actually I think a fruit of these early efforts in a way. And and if we just you know somehow got the long story short, then before we started doing anything with digital tools and tech in government of ours, it was a realization. But hey middle of 90s, internet just taking off, Netscape has been launched, right? Uh, so the browser. So, you know, internet might be a thing. So there was a lot of government sort of forward vision that, hey, we have to take our kids to internet and teach them about uh, computers. So every school in the country was outfit with a computer class and stuff like that. I was early school years at the time. So, and we basically got hooked <laughs> as a user. And, and from these generation, now we have the unicorn founders, uh, some folks in government like me and so on. So, so we, got an, we developed an early interest. And even if we went in different educational ways, so for example, I myself uh, studied more um, social sciences, you know, uh, public policy stuff, economics. So we all sort of end up in tech tech one way or another. So I came to it really from, you know, again, government and public administration and economic policy side of things. But we have all this innate tech fever in us. <laughs> um, so like you said, you are on the foods of giants in the sense of uh, an heritage of education and as well an infrastructure that was created in the last decades. Yeah. And, and that is, of course, shows the 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 changes that have been happening. So I would like to look at your personal education and, uh, and um, your trajectory to reach the role that you are right now, because I think it's quite interesting for people listening to us, because I work with a lot of government officials and prime ministers and ministers. And the challenge is that really very few people have effectively education on these areas. And actually when it comes to governments is even more challenging. Of course, there's great people, 
but for instance, I have a couple of friends in the European Union and we were looking at how much of the top officials in the European Union know about digital. And the answer was very few. So I would like to hear from your education and as well your specifically your career, how you achieved to this role. I would say that even if you're not trained as an engineer, you know, or as sort of, you know, uh, somehow digital technologist, right? Then, I mean, I think what matters is really the appetite and, you know, the sort of, you know, interest for the field, right? I mean, then you can obviously learn through their life. So in my case, I mean, as I said before, I mean, I got interested in, in tech and how it works and how to use it as early on. But then other sort of things even interested me much more, like, you know, how do societies work? And, and especially coming from Estonia, um, we were quite poor when we restored our independence in the 90s. So I was very much attracted to the question, okay, how do you get a country to develop economically, right? And, and sort of, you know, climb the ladder in terms of well-being and, and growth. So as I started working on these topics, that was my education mostly. Um, I came back to Estonia to work in government on those issues. But, you know, soon sort of one thing led to another and I quickly realized that as our government has started to digit us already, IT industry was growing already. Skype was being born, right, here or, or starting to build here. I realized, but hey, if we want to basically get anywhere in the world as a country, as an economy, digital industry and digital economy is our thing. So that sort of took me back with a circle to this sort of you know, roots in a way. And, and uh, 10 years ago, I, um, I was selected to work for prime ministers as a digital policy advisor. So really from policy angle of things. So how do we do our utmost to keep further, you know, um, using tech in our government and also in the whole of economy, really. So, and from that, then we worked in tandem with the previous government CIO. And so, yeah, so, I mean, I, I got even more focused on the government side of things, which I work on now. I've been a government CIO for the last five years now. So I came to this really from, you know, wider sort of policy side of things, being very much sort of accustomed to how public sector works and, and, and with a few ideas how to make it better. <laughs> Oh, that is, and that is really very impressive because, uh, like you said, uh, um, taking this to an entire country, no matter the size of the country, makes a big difference. And, uh, and for us, I always like to quote Harari that there's only two kinds of countries, countries that control their own digital uh, narrative or countries that are controlled by others' digital narratives, and no matter how big they are. So I, I would like to go through, so we talk about the last two decades, and like you mentioned, you were a kind of, I remember actually in the 90s to work with my first organization in Estonia, and you were already actually very digital. This was actually before the internet became mainstream. I'm not very old, but I remember that, uh, that there was already a very strong component of digital focus and so forth. So let's say from, from your education and from actually the narrative around the country, yeah. um, what would be the kind of the benchmarks that you see, even of course before you, that made Estonia this kind of digital powerhouse that it still is worldwide? Well, there's a few things there, but, um, but on a very high level, and we can zoom in on a very high level, we've always had a very strong educational base and very strong exactly technological education base, as you mentioned yourself. So even, um, even let's say in the 80s and before that, I mean, uh, that was our specialty in the big, big bad Soviet Union, for example. <laughs> And I mean, that sort of carried a lot of the early industry because you know, specialists were coming from that part. Secondly, we've had motivation and drive. I mean, making a government and the society digital has not been like, you know, um, a cool project for us. or so it has not been um, somehow, you know, an interesting thing to do. It's been a necessity 
given as small as we are, 1.3 million people, really even even less than two, then um, we have to be very efficient and effective with the little resources we have if we want to be anything in the world. So, um, you know, with defense force uh, in our neighborhood here, with, uh, you know, welfare that, you know, people want to you know, strive to like Nordic level in that. At the same time, we don't have much natural resource and uh, like uh, there's a bit of forest and there's some people, yes, but beyond that, uh, not really. And, uh, and the economic policy has been to be very open to the world and keep taxes low. So in all of that, you have to basically figure out ways how to really reach effectiveness and efficiency. And so that is why the governments started um, experimenting with reforms, also with digital technology in late 90s. And as these experiments worked, delivered value and really you know, made government deliver more for the same or less money, that made it into a conscious strategy. So the drive and the motivation, I mean, you know, the clear purpose has been very much what has been leading this. And um, the third thing, I mean, we can go into more detail, has been that we've um, we managed to or, or tried to really find ways how to cut, I don't want to say cut corners, that's the wrong word, but just you know, make things sort of happen faster. So that is why we went platform way, for example, very early on. So things like national digital identity, you know, X Road, which is a platform for data sharing across the whole government and beyond. These things were born because that was a way to accelerate digitization in different ministries and, and, and even sectors in the economy. Because now, for example, if there's a national digital identity, nobody has to reinvent the wheel of authentication. You just reuse the same platform again and again. Your effort, your money goes to digitizing and transforming your work, your agency, your company, stuff like that. So we've looked at ways how to accelerate stuff. And my last point, we've had a very clear attention to the risks of uh, digital life and society as well. So we try to carefully manage for privacy risks, for cybersecurity risks, all the way from having strong legal frameworks and you know, you know, processes for that, to employing state-of-the-art technology for that, to building up our defense capacity in cyberspace. So that's the sort of also been a way that that ensures trust and trust has been so fundamental to not just offer digital services, but have people use them. And that's where the impact comes from. If people actually use stuff, not that governments somehow have digital services available. It's interesting because most of the studies around e-government around the world, and this is not my, my words, put Estonia as, the most, as one of the most advanced, actually probably the most advanced digital society and recognizes as the world's most advanced digital society, which is an achievement in itself. Uh, every citizen gets an ID card and is used for digital signatures. So can you tell us, because a lot of countries don't have this. So can you tell us like just the common things that you have on day to day that a lot of countries around the world have? Of course, I'm in the UK and I'm Portuguese and partly French, which are kind of countries that are quite digital. But I know that even on that, a lot of things actually from Portugal and even the UK have been copied from what you guys have been doing. So I'd like yeah, just so to see what is the common places that you have. Yeah, and look, I mean, we keep copying from others even today. So, uh, and that's been another way to accelerate stuff. We very much believe in open innovation and you know, I think we'll get back to that in terms of if it works somewhere, if there's good practice elsewhere, let's just you know, do the same and, you know, we get ahead faster we, for the next, we can work more on the next stuff in a way. Um, but I want to downplay the sort of the most advanced part of it. I mean, look, in, as small as we are, we also have our own sort of, you know, areas where we haven't moved as fast, right? So, you know, if you look at the digital, like the health sector here, we are very digital in terms of how 
the system is run, but still doctors meet patients physically a lot, right? You know, for example, telemedicine is only picking up now. So there's lots for us to do as well. Um, what does it mean from, you know, daily life point of view? And I think that's what they're really asking. So think about it this way. Almost anything and everything you need to do or you want to do as a citizen, as an entrepreneur, uh, running a company, you can do online yourself. So the only few exceptions are to get married, have, you have to show up for that, I'm sorry, <laughs> and, and to get divorced and, you know, uh, stuff like that. But, but that's really for the reasons that, well, part of it is tradition <laughs> for marriage, for example. But part of it is also that we want to make sure that legally, these are some of the most consequential things in your life. So we really want to make sure you're doing this voluntarily, freely, or whatever like that, right? So uh, this is like extra precaution that you have to seize like a notary or in a government rep at least. But digitally, all the others can happen. Why? Because there's identity. So I can, you know, have any, I can use any service in a secure way myself from a distance, from my app, my phone, my computer, whatever. Uh, that's digital signatures on top of the identity. So which means that at no point, no paper has to be issued because I can verify and authentic, uh, authorize uh, transactions, contracts, um, government bills equally to my handwritten signature. And that's really fundamental. So at home, we don't really think about how my paper signature works anymore. If I could travel somewhere, I have to like sign something. I have to think, well, how did this actually work? It's not in my hand anymore because I'm just used to digital stuff. Um, so digital signatures is one more part of it. I mean, there's a lot of other sort of stack that goes behind, but really from, from user point of view, we, we try to tackle the bureaucracy that you inevitably have with the government, that that would be as seamless, as painless for you. And it's like that if it happens digitally. So this is the challenge that we have uh, now time. So, so coming back right now to your work and to the present, and of course, I, I suggest people listening to us to go through the Estonia, just look for Estonia, and you'll find a lot of case studies. And actually, just on the internet, there's, there's hundreds of, of case studies and academic case studies about the work done on the country. But let's look right now at uh, the work that you've been doing right now. So um, at the moment, uh, you launched different initiatives, like we, we mentioned the e-residency program, which was as well under you. So let's start by that one first, mm -hmm. um, which I know there is a global case study of success. So e-residency was for us um, a realization that as we have, as we had all the services available for residents of Estonia who are physically in the territory here, but actually there's no reason why they cannot be used from abroad. So if we can get digital identity of ours into hands of people anywhere in the world, so uh, we just need to solve that part. So we started issuing and, and uh, our identity as a key to the services globally. Um, that was 2014, December. So we've been running it seven years now. And we have about um, 80,000 plus residents from around the world, which, you know, 80,000 doesn't may sound too much, right? But it's almost 10% of our country now soon, right? And or if I look at it from a different point of view, um, each week we have been getting each month more e-residents than the babies born in the country. So, and, and what's the point? is that this way we grow as an economy faster as we otherwise would, because these uh, residents, they come to set up companies in Estonia here, companies to you know, do business through in the whole world, so they can you know, roam the world. Before COVID, that was still a thing. <laughs> you could you know, freelance and sort of just like choose whatever location, but you still need to send an invoice through something, through a company. So that was one use case. Or in other ways, 
if there are companies from outside the European Union who want to deal in a single market, which Estonia is a member of. So whether it's selling your professional services or doing e-commerce in European Union, we can offer a gateway. You can stay in your home, but still be fully legit European company and running from a distance yourself. That's the sort of services that our digital identity gives you access to. And now, so as the more of these guys and girls are joining as EU residents, then basically, yeah, we have more sort of business activity in the economy. Our economy grows, government, you know, tax base grows. So that's been sort of the idea that as babies are born, they are economically active 20 years down the line at best. <laughs> EU residents immediately. So we can, you know, in a way, bunch beyond or, or you know, get rid of the natural uh, size barrier a bit. And, and this is really the key element here. So, so we mentioned about the residency. So let's go right now in terms of your task as digital government and society, which is one of your areas, and telecom, uh, telecommunications and post area. So this is a very moving, fast area that touches a lot of things. So can you tell us what is right now the focus of your division and as well the government? Yeah, there's quite a few things. I mean, um, from digital government point of view, there's um, two or three key things we focus on. First of all, even if all services are available, almost all services are available digitally for people, uh, a lot of them you know, could be much better in terms of user experience. And we could you know, uh, basically make them happen more proactively so that even if right now I can get things done myself from an app or a you know, website, uh, why do these interactions exist at all we could actually get rid of them uh, and make you know the, the perfect experience is that when i don't have to bother with the cumber you know useless stuff right so if government can take care of some declaration for me or i don't have to apply for stuff awesome so that's the sort of making services happen proactively or invisibly is a lot what we do for example for companies we're trying to see it this way that um, if you set up a company yes all the rest of the stuff you can do digitally yourself as an e-resident or otherwise but perhaps we don't need to bother you with any reports at all, your statistics or tax. I mean, if you would grant us access to your um, uh, financial records, if you would be okay with that, if you consent to that, then basically all the rest can happen machine to machine and just by crunching data and your compliance will be verified. You don't just go on with your business, no red tape. So these sort of invisible services is what we try to bring along a lot. Mm -hmm. um, secondly, we are very keen on artificial intelligence. As, as, as a technology, so, or in a group of technologies. So as we, our drive has been for effectiveness and efficiency, we see that AI, even if it's in its current form or, or level of development, opens a quite new um, level for that. So things like, even if we, our phones, you know, all of our smartphones can detect our speech here and you know, turn it into text, we still had people typing up, you know, court proceedings or parliament proceedings um, in those meetings, you know. So we train machines to do that now. So basically, exactly, government staff can rather focus on other things, and perhaps we don't need that much staff. So it's the next level of this sort of efficiency drive that AI brings us. But even more importantly, and and this also related to AI, we see that we can, in the next few years, hopefully, radically simplify interaction with the government. Uh, by relying on virtual assistants. So these are AI-based, voice-based, um, you know, helpers in your phone, in your fridge, in your car, whatever. It's a series. It's the Google assistants, right? So we want to make all our government information accessible through them. And at the same time, all government interactions, the ones that remain um, doable or usable through them. So 
basically renewing a passport would be Siri asking you, hey, uh, do you want to get your passport renewed? And it's done. So that's the sort of experience, the, the, the most frictionless experience we want to bring about. I think that is really the, the, the breakthrough that is necessary for each country. So one of the things that is really cutting edge as well is that the data for e-Estonia is not sent, stored centrally, but instead uses a data platform run by the government called X-Road yeah. to link information from local hosts. Could, could you elaborate on that? I know that is a bit more technical, but uh, now channel we go very technical. Uh, I'd like to hear a bit about that. X-Road, we call it a platform, but essentially it's more like a protocol, if you think about it technologically. A common way, commonly agreed way to share data in a secure way between whatever parts of government, information systems, databases, also with private sector, if, for example, as a delegated service uh, that they offer. So, you know, with banks or, or utilities and et cetera. Um, so it's, um, it's like an interoperability layer on top of whatever stack and whatever systems you're running. And so if, uh, if you need to, you know, push, pull data in to offer like some integrated service for your user, like, um, you know, tax agencies reusing uh, population registry data, for example. So that's, you employ in the common way. If you integrate it once, you're immediately uh, interoperable with everyone else in the government network, so to speak. So it's this, yeah, it's this layer, it's this protocol that brings all of government together. And why it matters is because of that, from user point of view, things can happen in one bundle, in one go, and, and again, seamlessly as possible. So, and we have even amplified, I mean, the technology is one side of things, but we've amplified it by um, the legal framework. So we try to follow, or you know, we have this principle in law that uh, called once only. So basically, if some part of government knows something about me, the others should not be asking again, unless there's you know cool good reason. So my address, they could ask again because I can have multiple residents for you know different purposes. I might prefer them, but like my birth date or my um, my uh, vehicle record or my what companies I own, this is always the same. So. I will not be submitting this again and again. And that makes these interactions and digital services uh, way faster, way smoother. And that's the basis why we can make them invisible. Another thing that you guys is that, so for instance, you, you touched that, but uh, the numbers are quite amazing. Estonia is one of the highest numbers of startups per capita in the world. And one of the reasons is the ease of establishing a business. And since 2011, a new company can be registered in online in less than 20 minutes. And 98% of the companies are, are entered in e-business registered digitally. So can you tell us about that? And as well, what is attractive for an investor or a startup to move to Estonia? So at the end of the day, um, having it easy to set up and run companies is a motivational factor indeed. It helps. But look, I mean, ultimately, startups come for, uh, you know, either a market, which we are not, we are small, right, or talent and community and ecosystem. And that's what we managed to sort of grow in Estonia here. Uh, we've been very open to talents from abroad, all the way to, you know, offering uh, startup visas, digital nomad visas, I mean, tech visas, all the way to, you know, make it easier for talents to come and start a business here or work for a, you know, um, startup company, a tech company here. And secondly, there's a community. I mean, cool stuff and, and sort of in the world changing stuff is happening here ever since Skype was, uh, you know, born and bred here in, in Estonia. So basically built here uh, uh, by Estonians. And so now we have seven other uh, unicorns, um, you know, basically built up or originating from Estonia. 
many more stuff in the pipelines. I mean, that buzz itself starts to draw you in. It's like the uh, gravitational factor, right? Pulling sort of next ones in as well as churning the next ones out. So all the unicorns, basically, that's, they all have their own sort of uh, long tail of next companies that come from them. So, for example, if you take Skype as the first unicorn, the next one, Wise, immediately comes from that pipe drive. They arrange the same thing, Bolt again. So, like, yeah, it's they 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 basically have babies. <laughs> so, and and that's the community thing, and that attracts folks. So, and if you add to that, then that you make it easy through e-residency to set up a company here from a distance, or otherwise to run it very easily. That just only sort of you know again adds that momentum. But fundamentally, talent and community—that's what we have to keep, and we work hard to keep. And, and attract. So you mentioned three of the unicorns of Estonia. Let's go through the seven that you mentioned. So we have uh, uh, Wise, which is actually, it's one of the, the companies I use for my company to make payments international. Right. Skype, which of course was the first one and it's, uh, I think doesn't need any explanation. And you mentioned Bolt as well. So which actually, for instance, I'm actually right now, as, as I made in this interview, I'm actually stuck in Azerbaijan because of visa issues with my partner and it's interesting because I'm using Bolt here in Azerbaijan that is country. Nice. so it's, it's quite interesting to see how big it is worldwide uh, so can you tell us about the other four because I think it's interesting for people listening to us as well yeah that's, I mean so as I said I mean that companies that sort of you know originate from here so if you take something like Wise which used to be TransferWise so um, they actually have a London registered, but owners or, you know, founders Estonian, biggest base in Estonia, stuff like that. Um, so whom we have, so that's Playtech, who was originally born from here, which is um, basically an online game so and, 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 you know, casino company. Uh, that's Pipedrive, which is, um, you know, a SaaS solution for uh, sales folks uh, like that. There's um, Zigo, um, which essentially, again, is, let's say, from here. Um, Zigo, what these guys do, I mean, you can check out yourself, but essentially it's insurance, um, insure tech stuff, right? And then there's uh, ID.me, which is essentially about, um, you know, again, in an identity space, so making it, offering a service in terms of how you can um, identify yourself in a sort of big global business and commerce sense. And as I say, I mean, this is, look, this is the, like the tip of the iceberg. I mean, if I look at, I'm even more excited about the next range guys, right? So we're on the way to unicorns and then that's where the buzz and the vibrancy is. No, that is very impressive because like you said, even if they're not all completely basic, of course they are unicorns and they're global companies. It's really impressive that they're all they came. And I think it's interesting to see that uh, uh, in Europe, of course, most of the unicorns are actually in London, but probably Estonia is immediately afterwards. So it's quite impressive. And congratulations for the work on oh, that. Well, so total number-wise, we will always be smaller. And there's always Israel. It's normal. It's normal. I mean, what, what we believe is that so we want to be one of those places where this, uh, you know, where there's a hub for that for these sort of business. And that's why we also see it important to link those hubs, whether it's London, whether it's Singapore, whether it's sort of you know some other place, Berlin, right, whatever, Silicon Valley. So. You know, we, we want to exactly have those bridgeheads because people will move between those centers if once COVID allows again. So now it's, it's normal, of course. It's really what is impressive is that relationship. So I know that uh, part of the purpose of this interview is that you guys are launching the digital test bed. Yeah. That is a framework and digital government government innovation model. So can you tell us what is this? Because that's the name in itself. So I'll repeat digital test bed framework. 
and digital government innovation model. So I know that is a very cutting edge uh, solution, but uh, I would like to hear from you and uh, elaborate on that. Happy to do that. Um, I have to give a bit of background story. So Estonia, e-Estonia as we call it, or, di or digital government inside it, which built on partnerships and open innovation a lot. So partnerships with industry, uh, with companies who now take um, our digital government expertise, you know, around the world. They do business in 100 plus countries around the world, uh, building next solutions, sharing know-how, consulting, whatever, training. Um, so it's built with partnerships um, and open innovation as well. Look, I mean, it's not that being partnerships through vendors or through procurement. We've always been open. If somebody comes to us with the um, interesting next idea, something that could really benefit in terms of how digital government is built or the next public service, we're happy to sort of see, okay, can we take, can we somehow have this collaboration happen? Out of this, we've had companies born like GuardTime, a global blockchain, biggest blockchain company, one of the biggest blockchain companies now. Um, or we've also added some, you know, novel, some really sort of practical solutions like our COVID-19 tracing app, contact tracing app last spring that, keep, that came from this, you know, voluntary PPP partnership with companies. And, and so not everything has to basically happen on pay is my point. But so we get approached by different folks a lot saying, hey, can we work with you? And now, as opposed to having these ad hoc approaches, we're saying, hey, why don't we make it more systematic? So we have basically done two things. We've um, developed a legal framework. And I don't mean a law, but I mean really like, you know, an, um, an agreement, a standard agreement under which we can work with any innovators there for, uh, for free. So no procurement, no red tape. If you have something that sort of interests us, we can offer you our stack our know-how, our government folks to, as partners, um, if you give us access to the outcome for free afterwards, and that would be then free to re reuse in our whole government. So it's joint innovation through this agreement and through this novel framework is what we're trying to unleash. And secondly, besides the agreement, now is the campaign. And that's, as I said, I mean, we are having this interview in the context of this campaign. So as opposed to people coming to us ad hoc, we're saying, hey, come to us now. So we're actually you know, inviting people to come and sort of, you know, pitch their ideas, make them submit the proposals. If there's a match, let's work on it on a testbed mode. Our stack, our know-how, our expertise and people, if necessary data, your ideas, your work, your know-how, and let's see if some next useful product, technological component service emerges. Yeah, it's really impressive. So, so I think let, let's go a bit more through this. So for instance, I know that, um that this area of collaborative innovation and partnerships between governments is key. But we have a bit of a schizophrenic perspective in, in relation how the world lo looks at this, because there are governments like yours that are very advanced. And other governments, they might have departments very advanced, but the departments don't speak with each other and it creates a huge issue. And then we have, of course, China that at the moment digitized the entire country and at the moment they don't even have paper money. So we have a bit of paradox in the world economy. And of course, we have as well right now all the inception of crypto that at the moment is over $2 trillion. So I would like to see how you look at the complexity. Of course, where there's complexity and chaos, there's always opportunities. Uh, but I would like just to see how you look at this different, uh, first of all, the different, the different things in terms of uh, geopolitics, different technologies. Some of them talk with each other, others don't talk. And for us, we have centralized systems, decentralized systems. I would like, as a tech, now probably more in your head as a tech expert as well, how do you cope with this from a government perspective, especially in a small country with a very big uh, digital outreach? Well, I think in that sense, it's not 
the small countryness that matters, but rather that we are European. So Estonia is a European Union member. I mean, the model that we follow and build is very European and based on the same values as, as the whole European Union. So I mean, let, you know, try, let me try to elaborate on this a bit. For example, the way we have envisioned digital government and built it up again has always been privacy preserving. So really, you know, keeping sort of, you know, human centric view uh, from that point of view. So uh, even let's say last spring, if we built up, uh, you know, in, in, in testbed frameworks, the COVID tracing app, then COVID contact tracing app, then um, that was decentralized really for the reasons to design it for maximum privacy. So it's these choices we regularly do that comes really from this sort of, these sort of value change. Obviously, if you look globally, you know, perhaps America is a bit different. China is quite completely different. I mean, there's a few, a few other big ones as well. So we sort of really, I think it's that European background that defines how we do things and look at things even more than being small. Now, having being small adds one more component only. And that means, again, we have to be open, well, we better be open for good ideas and partnerships because it's, it, it's going to be never feasible that we will have all the smartest folks in our country or even especially in our government so we have to be open for industry partnerships right uh, or academic partnerships um for example you know x road that we talked about as a sort of data sharing platform that was a master thesis you know somebody's genius master thesis that then became a whole country and now international platform um we have to be open for partnerships with other countries so we are shameless in stealing what works elsewhere our digital identity we took from finland right uh, for example or these days in, in artificial intelligence time we are happy to copy you know ai models that work somewhere and then retrain with our data and have a solution quicker like that so what i'm trying to get to is that so we really come to this from openness angle so and, and what if your other sort of systems or, or you know, geopolitically as well try to be much more closed for whatever reason, but that's where they come to. Well, perhaps they can afford it. I mean, China is a complete different ballgame for every Estonian, there's thousand Chinese people, right, persons. So their dynamic is different. We play with the cards we have. It's, it's really, and I, I like that. And I don't think it's stealing. I think, uh, you know, open innovation is circulating. I think everyone no, has to go I mean, through this, but I understand what you mean. Copy. Uh, I mean, we're happy to copy if it works. There's no point. I mean, we, we, we try to really avoid reinventing the wheel. Obviously it happens sometimes, but, uh, but yeah, no, it's everyone invents the wheel sometimes. <laughs> now, very interesting. So, so I want to, and I will try to be respectful of your time. So I have still a couple of questions, but we'll try oh, to please, finish, please. you know, so, so I, I think in, let's come back again to the digital testbed framework. So I'll just read some of the things that I got from your documentation and research. Yeah. So yes. the initial the initiative has been designed and bearing in mind the simplicity and efficiency and the, with the project users can attract partners globally and as well um, the government level IT solutions safely and quickly. Mm -hmm. And through this cooperation model, um, you're trying to create a tech stack and know-how um, that can actually uh, look at emergent commercial solutions and in one end and in the other end as well look at and partner with most digital developed countries in the world uh, to rubber stamp their ideas and obtain proof of concept. And as well, one of the things that you mentioned here is that the digital testbed framework has been used by the Estonian parliament and the Minister of Education and Research to collaborate on reusable AI components yeah. and this Estonian Health Board to create uh, HOIA, OIA, the official COVID-19 exposure notification app. So you touched this, but can you tell us how do you put all of this working together? Because this is quite complex, because in one end you have 
different departments, different ministries, and as well all, all have the technology and the regula regulation, because this implies as well a lot of political red tape and so forth. So basically going back to, to the sort of roots of it, I, I still emphasize there are two elements there uh, to what we do now. First of all, that's the legal agreement or standard agreement that, that we sort of devised that basically meets all the public procurement state aid, whatever rules and requirements, but allows us to work in a very quick way to start working with, you know, if we have a match in terms of, uh, you know, an idea or a, or a proposal and, and the government need. And secondly, is the is the matchmaking that we do. And like you rightly say, I mean, you know, that's what, what we see a lot, always what we have seen as a role of government CI office. So we are the coordinating unit for all things digital in the government. We don't build all things ourselves. We don't run all things ourselves. To the contrary, in Estonia, every ministry is a digital ministry in their field, but we have the job of steering them and nudging them and helping them. So, and that means that in this particular context, so we are literally just, yeah, inviting folks with, uh, you know, innovative stuff from around the world, pitch us. If we from government CIO office sort of things, right, in the steering role, see that there might be match, then we bring the government agencies on board. So you don't have to find them one by one. So it's the matchmaking combined with a sort of, you know, quick, um, quick legal standard framework. And that hopefully unleashes the, the magic. Uh, one of the questions I have here, and I think it's particularly important for me and for my channel and even for my research. So you're responsible for Estonia plan for AI strategy. Of course, the, you just mentioned the testbed uses part of uh, AI, but of course, creating an entire AI strategy for a country is a different ballgame, especially as AI is a moving target because we have, at the moment, we're still in machine learning. We're not even in the very advanced AI, but the challenges are really becoming very challenging for humanity as a whole. But this will have a profound impact in everything from education to healthcare to even identity and even as we kind of digitize ourselves and our DNA, what is going to happen in the next iteration. So can you tell us about this Estonian plan for AI and how you are putting this in practice and in, in the big scope and as well in reality? I think we can have a next show in, in just a few months because uh, we are just uh, remaking our plan or our strategy for AI. So we did the first one two years ago. Uh, and, and that plan was really about, you know, finally kickstarting um, our AI adoption and uptake in, the, in, in government, especially because our, digital, our government is a front runner in digital uptake, but also in the economy and in industries more widely. So we managed in the last two years, we managed to make great progress within government. So we have 100 plus use cases of AI applications now uh, either built or in works or, or live or in works. Um, in all different domains, um, you know, in all different sort of, you know, we can talk about examples, but all the way from using satellite imagery for some, uh, you know, compliance detection to uh, then, yeah, just you know, something like, you know, uh, obviously stuff like chatbots, obviously stuff like, uh, you know, automatic transcription in the, in the parliament, as I said, I mean, lots of use cases. So we managed to get the board rolling. And now what we're doing actually as we speak, right? So these weeks and months, to say, hey, so how do we take it to the next level from here? We've gotten a taste, we see how it works, we, we've gotten the ball rolling, but how do we scale? Because scaling is always harder than starting, isn't it? So, yeah, we are seeing about that. Secondly, um, a lot of our thinking on AI has been and how to get the ball rolling is, is to apply the lessons we have learned through digital government building in the, in the previous decades. 
So as I've spoken before, I mean, we went platform way. So we benefited a lot from having platforms that then different agencies and ministries and, you know, even in economic sectors reuse like identity. We're trying to do the same in AI space. So a lot of the things we, we first started working on, first AI applications were built, we tried to make those core components reusable. Something like, you know, a common chatbot engine, a common sort of text pattern recognition engine, stuff like that that you can then retrain, reuse, and the next agency can basically adopt it faster. So we basically bring this experience now to this technology as well. Yeah, and so I would like to touch this a bit more because this is kind of, of course, as someone that has been writing about AI and, and blockchain and different technologies. Yes. So from, from the perspective of, let's look, uh, and uh, I'm going right now a bit out of the, the, your direct task so this touch is really has a massive impact on countries and citizens, because of course, at the moment in one end, of course, I think the part that everyone gets is the data. And I think, of course, we can look at this from the perspective of all you, the narratives of, uh, from uh, Blade Runner to all these kind of narratives, but we have as well, the challenge of the day-to-day, -day. we have the Facebook, we have the Panama Papers, we have uh, uh, yeah. all these cases. And of course, when it comes to governments, of course, we had Edward Snowden and things like that. But at the same point, it's, there's a lot of invisibility. For us, the French government launched their own kind of e-soldier kind of solution for AI soldiers. Um, but, but at the same time, and of course, there's the actually my company, our, the company behind this podcast series is actually part of the AI European U Union AI Alliance. Yeah. But there's still a lot of, I would say, a, 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 I would say an alarming lack of coordination between countries when it comes to AI. And, and of course, then coming back to the metaphor of Blade Runner, if you see right now, we have like 10 corporations, um, none of yours, thanks God, <laughs> that are your unicorns, but we have some big corporations that have much more power than probably 50 countries together and more data yeah. and more yeah. access. And of course, they have a lot of other things that no people don't know. But how do you see these kind of things when, when are you really doing this then in the scale of a country? Because you have to think about the big picture, the local picture, and the international picture, and then the academic sector as well. So I know there's a complex question, but I'd like to see how you are orchestrating this strategy. And I'm sure, of yeah. course, being part of the European Union, you're talking with the rest of the organizations. I, well, you started from what I... Obviously, you ended what I wanted to start with to say that, look, from our point of view, realistically speaking, if you, if you look at the very big picture of things, it has to be European solution in a common way. And I mean, we are used to, um, you know, collaborating in Europe on digital issues anyways. And, you know, sometimes even leading from Estonian side, like, you know, to push for digital identity in a single market or whatever. So without, I mean, so long story short, I mean, we don't have any realistic ambition. Somehow Estonia can change the global game, but in Europe, we so jointly can. But... You, I think the heart of your question, really, or, or my answer to it is to say that we cannot mesh them into the same ball game in a way, right? So, I mean, these are two different games to be played uh, from my point of view. So, and like, right, some of it is local, some of it is global. Global, yes, I mean, there are issues to be concerned with and sort of, you know, we need sort of somehow, you know, trusted uh, AI frameworks and sort of, you know, companies to sort of, you know, basically also play with those rules and et cetera. Also countries. I mean, we very much believe that, you know, there's certain things that we actually should all agree to that we don't do, like we don't do chemical weapons or we shouldn't do. We shouldn't perhaps be doing, you know, uh, autonomous uh, weapon systems, for example. But my point being, but that should not get enmeshed with the local level, because even what we see from experience in Estonia, 100 plus use cases, 
even with the, you know, simple, non-harmful machine learning, we can get so powerful benefits. So, and if we lump them together, then the Terminator or Blade Runner scenarios actually, you know, limit us from reaping those benefits that don't do any harm whatsoever. So if you see my point, we, we actually want to on purpose distinguish them and say that um, what we do in the local level, I mean, you know, the ramifications of that to the global picture will be so long, if at all, that we basically have to be mindful, but that shouldn't stop us. On a global level, at the same time, we have to develop the framework that we don't really unleash, yeah, the doomsday stuff. So I'm hoping that makes sense, but, but, but that's basically the way to say that otherwise we get stuck. If, if you mesh them together, we get stuck in the doomsday stuff and nothing ever gets happened. So, or, or, or implement it. No, no, and, and I've always looked that the big problems have to be cut in small pieces until we solve it. That yeah. as well. I mean, so basically, yeah, I mean, the elephant eating starts with bites, right? So, <laughs> completely. No, so, so I, I have my uh, almost time closing. I know that you have limited time. So, one of the questions I want to talk is because you are the chairman of the OECD Senior Digital Government Officials Working Party. Yeah. And I'm very, although I always, I'm as well as startups and, and, uh, and unicorns, but I always try to make sure these global organizations work because if they work, they can make the world a bit uh, less, more utopian, let's put it that way. So can you tell us about this task force and as well, this organization? Yeah. So to start differently than OECD, Organization of Economic Cooperation Development is, um, a gathering of uh, you know similar-minded market economies and sort of countries, democratic governments, right? Like that, right? So we we come together really to to join to see okay how can we share ideas, share practices, do some stuff, build some frameworks together to really you know advance our livelihood and that's the world. So we see is very very active in G20 and and beyond, for example. My point being that OECD is built on exactly this sort of sharing and collaboration on the notion. And that's why all these sort of different groupings exist uh, in, um, I don't know, you know, on tax, on uh, different public policy fields, climate change, I mean, you name it. One of the sort of groups deals with um, public governance issues and really sharing best practices and sort of jointly ideating, doing analysis, benchmarking on, on all things public governance. And one side topic is a digital government. So that's the sort of group that I'm, I have the privilege of, of chairing. Literally, we get together once a year and virtually more often uh, with OECD members and some invited friends and, you know, share what's the latest, what we're up to and try to see what are the next challenges that perhaps we need a bit of joint thinking done in terms of how to make the, the building of digital government better. So, for example, we've looked at issues like, um, you know, open data a lot in the past. So how do we really sort of, you know, not just do it, but do it effectively and for impact. We looked at things like uh, governance of digital government. So what mechanisms, for example, and what institutional settings, you know, really help to advance the most. We're now looking at financing. So basically, what are the financing structures? So a lot of it is really peer-to-peer -peer sharing and joint thinking and, and some uh, think tank work by always the secretariat to help us in terms of, yeah, how to make the business of digital government better. Fantastic. So, so um, still, I want to touch one area as someone that has been in, the, in blockchain narratives and technology. So you've been uh, the first nation state in the world to deploy blockchain technology for things related with succession registry and as well production systems and as well things related with elections. So can you tell us about that? Because I know that especially having seen what happened in the US elections, which is the biggest economy or second biggest economy in the world, 
makes me think how far we still need to go. But I know that you guys have been already working on that for, this is actually since 2012. So can you tell us a bit about the, the work you've been doing in terms of blockchain technologies and this, some of the case studies? Yeah, so we've been early adopters of specific you know, use cases or, or reasons for what is essentially blockchain. So basically distributed ledgers and, and the technology around that. So the use case is that so we have employed it thoroughly to provide for integrity of data. So, you know, uh, to make sure that like it does, data does get tampered. So let's say my health record, right? So that my blood type does not get changed randomly by somebody who you know, should be changing that, right? So and we would actually, if I end up in a hospital or emergency, then my right blood type, you know, record there. Um, so how do we do it? We do it... Um, based on, we don't actually keep the records or data themselves or itself in blockchain mode or distributed mode. Uh, we keep the metadata or let's say the logs and stuff like that about the data there. So that just makes it basically like, you know, second layer sort of uh, verifiability that makes it sort of uh, computing wise, easy to handle and sort of in architecture easy as well. But at the same time, we still get the benefits of integrity assurance. So that's the sort of use case we've employed in different registries you mentioned and so forth. We are toying and sort of you know experimenting, you know, in a few other areas, also just to see where blockchain is going more generally. But I mean, we are not skeptics, but let's say we are agnostic. We're on the lookout to see how the technology evolves and to see that basically if, if it will make sense to do more with blockchain more widely. So far, we use it as a complement to the stack we have and exactly for integrity reasons. 100%. And there's a lot of uh, case studies in the sense of uh, that can be found uh, related with the different things you did. So I will put that in the, in the, the questions and the, the notes around the, the interview. So last two questions. So the first one is, so you're as well part of the Nordic Institute of Interoperability Solutions. That is a non-for-profit organization with a mission to ensure the development and strategic manage, manage, uh, management of the X-Road. Can you tell us about it? Because I know I live five years in Sweden, between Sweden and Denmark, and I know that the Nordics are probably 20 years ahead of the rest of the world, especially in terms of digital registration. I remember I had my personal number, both in Sweden and Denmark, and I still have it somewhere there. And, uh, and I know that uh, it really works because I don't need to have like five different departments. So, um, a bit of this experience with the Nordics and as well, we mentioned that you use things from Finland. I know that you're quite united as well in sharing this innovation. And definitely there's a lot of innovation over there. So I'll, about this group, if you could just share some ideas. What NIS.org does, so that NIS is how we call it, the, yeah. the nonprofit. So it's basically one very general mission is to jointly build and further develop the uh, core digital government components, infrastructure, if you wish. So X-Road is the first and prime example of that we started with X-Road. So the background story is that um, as Estonia was, had adopted it and you know, was developing it, then Finland decided to actually take it up as well. So it's open source, right? So they decided to literally employ the same platform and, and build their government on top of this. As this was happening, we, we entered our sort of neighbors and brothers and sisters next door and said, hey, well, why don't we pull resources together? You know, we are trying to make it better. You are trying to make the technology better. Why don't we do it together? We will achieve so much more. So, so that really was the birth of needs to say that, hey, let's pull resources, let's pull funds and, and you know, put our breads in the same, same cupboard, so to speak. And uh, we get so much better outcome from this. 
So now we have Iceland has joined, uh, hoping for a few more to come. And so we keep, it's, 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 um, it takes care of core technological development of the common components. Perhaps in the future, we add more there, also like in terms of identity infrastructure pieces or, you know, um, sort of, let's say, base software for that, whatever like that. But it's, yeah, it's been a great sort of attempt to really not just share stuff, but jointly build stuff between governments. Good model for the world. Yeah, and it works, and I think I know that does an amazing thing. So, um, being cautioned, so my last my last question, which is more like a, a note, um, I know that I have a lot of questions, and uh, as you know, I've been always researching about you guys. Again. Always happy to chat. We'll do definitely, like you said about AI. I'm particularly interested. Actually, I, I'm interviewing actually uh, a couple of AI global experts like Ben Gorsley, that is a, a dear friend, and definitely nice. we might do a session with you. So, um, one question, the last thing is okay. I know that there's a lot of programs, and I have actually a couple of friends that actually open startups and organizations in Estonia. But where would be the places for people listening to us from America to Asia, whatever? What are the places, the websites and digital places where you suggest people to go? Well, there's only one, and that really takes care of the rest. You'll find everything else, all the links and gateways through there. That's eestonia.com, right? So uh, that's where you have the testbed stuff. That's where you really sort of see what the startup industry is and how to really get in here, what what have been the digital government things we've built up. So, yeah, um, that's the prime way to, to start with. And, and really, you'll even meet some industry to match make there. So um, check it out. Well, fantastic. We'll put all these notes and uh, some case studies around uh, Estonia and, and as well about you, Sim. So I, I want to thank you and congratulations for the amazing work. Uh, I think really for someone that has been interviewing a lot and actually working with a lot of governments and institutions, uh, I think it's really amazing the work you've been doing. So I'm actually very grateful to have you here and we'll continue this. So thank you so much and continue the great work. Thank, thank you. you. And good luck to everyone.